On today's show, Tari Eason's impact as a starter, what we're learning about the Houston Rockets' defensive schemes with Jabari Smith Jr. at the five spot in place of Alperin Shingun, Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green struggling a bit against the Warriors' defense, all of that and more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, and Jabari Smith Jr., T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin. The show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets on YouTube. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. As always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, in the gym, on your lunch break. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. Joining us now to break down the Houston Rockets 121-108 loss at home against the Golden State Warriors is none other than Madison Moore. You can follow on Twitter at MadmanLeaks and Madison, it's you know it, we were we were kind of riding cloud nine last week. Three wins in a row at home, this homestand, and things ended in kind of a bitter way here with the Rockets taking this L, you know, final game of the six-game homestand. It's always still, it's still tough taking a loss at home in Toyota Center. So much history between the Warriors and Rockets and seeing Steph Curry bomb three-pointers in Toyota Center is always going to sting my soul just a little bit. Uh, but honestly, the Rockets competed in this game. And like, frankly, you know, the, the Warriors have sucked on the road all season. They hadn't won a single road game since January 30th. We joke all the time about, like, you know, raise the banner, this, that, and the other thing, you know, when when teams accomplish, like, these, like, marginal feats. And the Warriors made a freaking graphic and posted it on social media. And we're like, first road win since January 30th. And it was the funniest. It's like, are you serious? Like, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> Against one of the worst teams in the NBA, too. You're celebrating it. So... But I, I do. There's there's a lot to take away from this game. Uh, the starters all actually played pretty well. I think there were I think there were actually key contributions acro- across the board for for the Rockets in this game. Uh, missing some key contributors. No Alper and Shingun in this game. No Jay Shante. So we did get a look at Tari Eason at the five. Sp- or sorry, not Tari Eason at the five spot. Apologize, Freudian slip. Jabari Smith Jr. at the five spot. So Tari Eason back in the Rockets starting lineup, who had a phenomenal game. We're going to talk about him in just a second. Also, the Rockets' defense and some other takeaways from this one. I've got a take about Kevin Porter Jr. later that I want to get to. But, Madison, let's start with Tari because I think he has, I think we have to safely pick him as our locked on Rockets player of the game because he led the Rockets in scoring, in rebounding, and he had four steals on nine of 16 shooting. Tari just, I I don't know any other way to say it. And in fact, I I don't have to say it any other way because this is exactly how Steven Silas describes it. Tari just makes things happen. That's what Mm -hmm. Steven Silas said post-game when asked about Tari's performance. He just makes things happen. And when he's in the starting lineup and you see the Rockets playing a certain way, the switching scheme, the defense, he really thrives in that type of atmosphere. 
Yeah, I mean, Tari was excellent today. Of course, his activity is always great. But in this type of up-and-down game is where Tari can really thrive. Um, the Warriors, uh, they do a lot of off-ball movement, screening, right, in that type of environment. You know, so those are some of the types of environments that um, Tari will play very well in, but also get lost a lot of times. So it was really interesting to see how the Rockets handle this switching defense. Is something they have um, – yet to figure out against the Warriors. It leads to a lot of open threes. Um, and I, I feel like Tari just capitalized on the up-and-down nature and the ball movement and being disruptive in those passing lanes. Even sometimes Tari is kind of caught out of position at times, but he still is kind of hawking ball hawking the the ball and have these instincts to just be everywhere he's he's so he's so long sometimes even when he's out of it so because of his length right and because he's got this innate ability to like shoot the gap between defenders like that's how he gets so many of his steals he's just got such a good nose for the ball when he's rebounding or when he's playing the passing lanes where maybe he is like a half second or a second late on a rotation or you know moving over defensively but he's just got like again seeing him go for some of these steals you're just like how did he even wind up with the ball in his hands but he just makes it happen I mean, sometimes it even looks like the the person passing the ball didn't really even see him. It's like he he's kind of like lurking in the shadows and they don't understand how close or how ready he is to break on the ball. And, I, you know, it's it's a really good thing to have. And, of course, he does his uh, regular old dirty work where he gets in and he, uh, on every loose ball, he gets in on all the rebounds, offensive rebounds, and gets easy buckets there. And he's really, he's really slowed himself down in a lot of these um, attacks off closeouts and fast breaks and be- has become a really effective finisher, I feel like. I mean, Tari has really improved in season at his finishing at the rim. He slowed down. He's making – He's it, it used to seem like he was just kind of trying to push it up at the rim with touch, but now there's like real purpose to where he is and he knows, hey, I'm long enough. I, I have the strides that I can just dunk this or lay it up and it it be really good. And so, I, you know, very effective. His, his timing, game. his timing on those finishes is so much because like it was almost like before he'd be like a runaway freight train at times yeah. and he'd be like trying to stop on a dime like at the cup and he's like, OK, I'm going way too fast. And he, you know completely brick the layup now it's like he he realizes he has to decelerate a little bit and he'll decelerate and he'll do like these little finger rolls or kind of teardrop layups like right there right at the rim and, or or just like you said right sometimes he'll just go straight up and just pound it home and dunk the ball and those right. are all i mean i i love a good dunk because those those tend to convert more often than you miss them right and and, and i think that i think you described it perfectly sometimes tari starts running without a plan or starts his layup without a plan, and he doesn't really see the lanes and the gaps that he needs to see. And now since he, it seems like he sees these lanes um, much better, now he's able to actually dunk some of these balls, you know what I mean? So it's really good to see. I mean, a really effective game from Tari, and just him building on how good he's been throughout this stretch. And what I thought was interesting too, and it, this it, maybe maybe this is uh, maybe I shouldn't look too much into this, but because they they were still running their switch everything scheme, so everybody kind of wound up guarding everybody in this game. Right. But I did think it was interesting that at least their like starting assignments 
where Jabari was checking Draymond and Tari was checking Kevon Looney as just the the starting assignment defensively. Mm-hmm. And then clearly, yeah, things would switch around and you'd have everybody guarding whoever. But I still thought that was interesting that basically he was treating, at least defensively, Tari was being used as like the five defensively, sort of, just checking Kevon Looney and maybe putting, you know, bigger body on bigger body. I don't know what Silas's like logic there was or if it even matters again because they wound up switching so many of the actions. But I did think it was at least something that I noticed early on because I assumed that you would have put Tari on Draymond and then Jabari on on Kevon Looney just because Jabari has a bit more length than Tari, a bit, you know, a bit taller, a bit bigger. Um, but I guess he wanted the size on Looney to start the game at least so the only thing I could think of why he would want that is you want um Tari as the free safety of your defense Mm. one of the guys who could sag off in certain areas and kind of shoot the gaps in those type of ways I mean they uh the Celtics use Robert Williams as that that type of way they always put him on they a lot of times they put him on the power forward or the guy that is not involved in pick and roll in the initial actions so he can be kind of like a roaming help guy you know what I mean and I think that has actually been Tari's greatest attribute this year is a a help defender because he just has really good help instincts even though I feel like he steals out of place at times he just makes it happen he just makes it work out there dog so you know kudos to him Coming up, we're going to get into more of the Rockets' defense in this game against the Warriors. They did a better job against Klay Thompson this time around, although it would have been hard to do a worse job than the last time these two teams played. Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. at the five spot. Again, we'll talk about his defensive contributions, what things look like offensively in this game with no Alperin Shingun. We're going to get there in just one moment, but first, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. We're in the final stretch of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from point scorers, three-pointers drained, who's going to win sixth man of the year, MVP, finals odds. Right now, you can take a look at who the odds on favorites are. For the NBA Finals this season, the Bucks, the favorites to win it all at plus 290. The Boston Celtics at plus 320. The Phoenix Suns still in the top three at plus 650. Denver Nuggets at plus 750. And then rounding out the top five, you got the Philadelphia 76ers and our good friend James Harden at plus 900 to win it all this season. So for all of that and more, be sure to check out FanDuel. Don't miss a chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, of course, we had to give, you know, Tari his flowers there in segment one. But overall, Madison, I was, you know, kind of thoroughly impressed with how competitive this game really felt from the Rockets perspective, right? I mean, they're missing their starting center in Al P, which you could argue, you know, probably made things a little bit easier in this matchup, all things considered, based on the last time that these two teams played and how the drop coverage, you know, does really hurt the Rockets when they're trying to guard a Clay Thompson or a Steph Curry uh, out on the perimeter. So we'll get into some of the, the defensive execution in just a moment. But 
overall, this was, I mean, the Rockets kind of were, were right there hanging with the Warriors for most of this game. Uh, they go into the fourth quarter. They're only trailing by, you know, what was it? Uh, four points going into the fourth. I mean, they they were right there. And then the Warriors kind of like hit the accelerator, right? In, in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, you're like, okay, here's where the flurry comes and Rockets go by, go down by as many as 15. And I, I was expecting the lead to just kind of continue ballooning from there. But I do want to give Houston a little bit of credit. I mean, after going down by 15, they could have hung their heads. They could have just resigned themselves. Okay, Warriors are going to run away with it, whatever. They responded to the run, and they actually got, they clawed their way back within seven from about the six-minute mark all the way down to just under two minutes. Um, I want to say the last bucket was like a Jalen Green, oh, I apologize, a a Jabari Smith Jr. uh, two-pointer that gave the Rockets a, what was it? Yeah, seven-point deficit, so 113-106. And there was like that brief bit of light where you're just like, okay, maybe they pull off the upset, maybe they get back into this game. And then they come back down on the other end, and they're scrambling, the defensive rotations are all over the place, and yeah. kick-out pass happens to Draymond. Draymond makes the extra pass to Clay Thompson in the corner. Clay drains the three-pointer, and it goes back up to a 10-point lead, and you're like, all right, that that was probably yeah. the dagger. Um that leads us to directly into the the conversation about the Rockets defense in this one, because it really does feel like at times, even when they know they're going to be switching, there's still miscommunication on how they're supposed to be switching over the course of a given game. And that was, I, I think that was really apparent early in this one. It got better as the game went along, but it was really apparent early in this game, especially in that first half where they were just kind of all over the place with their switching. Yeah. So early in the game, the the Golden State Warriors are very smart with leveraging the their down screens for their shooters, and because Steph and Clay and Jordan Poole have so much gravity as shooters, they and people tend to switch those actions. A lot of times, the center will center will just slip the pick and roll and get easy layups. So, uh, so Kevon Looney and um and Draymond Green slipped a lot of pick and rolls early. It caused a lot of confusion because when you slip it, the 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 pick doesn't actually occur. You know what I mean? And so the switch, it, the the guys are still we're still having trouble on. Okay, are we switching this or because he slipped it because the screen didn't actually occur? How are we handling this? How are we handling this? And it, and it was. Um, and you can see a lot of those actions happened as well with with um, Jalen. Jalen, I think, struggled really, uh, really bad early um, with all the off ball switches and uh, backdoor cuts. But it seemed like Jalen was under the impression that he was going to we were switching everything while I feel like the other guys were communicating for their switches. So there were times where Jalen didn't communicate the switch. He just automatically thought the switch was going to occur. And then it led to some wide open shots. Luckily the golden state warriors were hot garbage at shooting the three in the first half. And, you know, it kept us in the game. It gave us the opportunity and they turned the ball over a whole lot. So, uh, so luckily that gave us time to kind of, get our switching principles down for the second half. And I think they did a lot better job, even though the Warriors did hit shots in the fourth quarter. So, but, but I thought it was improvement. It was, it was better than what we normally seen, but I really wonder how much of that is just the Warriors being hot garbage and missing shots. I mean, I could, you could tell in the second, like, Stephen Curry wasn't even being aggressive to the sec until like the second portion of the second quarter. He was passing up wide open shots to get his teammates shots. And he was kind of trying to do that thing where 
hey, I need you guys if we're going to win road games. So let's try and get you guys going. I know I can get going anytime, right? And, I, you know, just stand-up guy stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean – I think the I think that was the the initial issue with the Rockets defense. They just didn't know how they were going to handle those slips and then general confusion that they have from time to time. But the Rockets always struggle with these great movement and passing teams. I mean, that's why they primarily struggle with the Spurs in the begin those first two games. These teams and, and Denver Nuggets, these teams that that do a lot of off-ball actions, design misdirections, the young Rockets are just not ready for that type of stuff right now. No, absolutely. It, 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 again, it goes back to one of the key things when you're a young team. One of the things that's missing right now from this Rockets team defensively is they just don't understand how to anticipate certain actions right. and when you have so many different things that you were trying to anticipate and calculate for, you know, against against the Golden State Warriors, where there's so many different ripples in their offense of where the ball could go, who's going to cut, down screens being used, guys are slipping, you know, slipping screens instead of actually setting them. It causes a lot of miscommunication. And for a team that's as well-oiled as the Warriors, who understand exactly where guys are going to be, how they're going to cut, how they're going to move, they, they I mean, the ball is just flying around the court, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, like, as soon as they slip a screen, ball's over the top. Cool. All right, next defender rotates over. Boom, they're already mm-hmm. throwing the pass to the corner. And then the, the the next guy who's supposed to rotate is like not even in the corner and the ball's already there. So yeah. <laughs> it's one of those where, I mean, there's a certain level of like, you got to understand like this, this rocket team is young. They're going to make mistakes with it. But at the same time, seeing them struggle the way they did in the first half and then kind of figure it out and start to put it together and, and how things look a little bit better there in the second half is encouraging. It does show that they're start that they're slowly figuring these things out. And a big part of it, you, you highlighted is the communication aspect, right? We know that Jabari is a, is a vocal communicator. We know that he's not, you know, a totally, you know, that he loves to open his mouth defensively and call stuff out and, and be, be vocal on that end. Josh Christopher, Steven Silas has highlighted, is getting better at being a communicator on that end. Uh, Tari is not afraid to communicate defensively. I do wonder, right, at times, how much communication Jalen and Kevin do have defensively. Like, are they really mm-hmm. being vocal on defense when they need That's to be, when they're trying to call out where certain things are happening? Because when you're switching everything, right, Sometimes your bigs or the guys that are usually anchoring your defense are in front of the play rather than behind the play. And if you mm-hmm. don't have your your defensive quarterback behind the play to call stuff out and you're the guard on a switch and you're down low instead, mm-hmm. it becomes your job to call things out and understand, okay, like where's the screen? Is it left side, right side? Are we switching? Are we not switching? Right? Are, are you staying low? Are you coming up high? Like what are you doing? And so... From that element, I do wonder who are the best communicators on this Rockets team and who are the guys that are still kind of finding their voice defensively while the, while the entire team is trying to figure out the whole anticipation factor. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit it right on the head. Like, I don't, I don't think I, – I will literally watch the play uh, tonight where Jalen Green and Jabari Smith were in a switch – and Jalen called out the first switch. And it was, I believe it was between – it was either between Curry and Green or Cur, uh, Curry and uh, Looney. And Jalen caught the initial switch, and they and Jabari switched on to um, uh, Steph. And then they re-screened where they were supposed to screen back off, but, but Jalen didn't c- call the re-screen. So Jabari fought across the, sp- the, the, the screen, which left Looney wide open. You know what I mean? And it was just like – Oh, I literally saw you call the first one. And since you didn't call the second one, it caused this misdirection. I just can imagine that happening over and over again. Yeah. 
for sure. I mean, again, it, it they're a young team. They're going to have issues yeah. defensively. That's that's for sure. But um, it's at least worth identifying some of where these issues are and, and being able to highlight at least the moments of growth that we do see from this group. And it is it, it is interesting to be able to get a different look for them defensively when they do run Jabari at the five spot, right? Because this is exactly the same type of defense and the same lineup that we saw that actually got them the win exactly a week ago against the Boston Celtics. And in that game, right, Jason Tatum was just struggling, couldn't hit anything. So that that led to, uh, you know, the Rockets being able to kind of capitalize on Tatum's struggles and be able to walk away with that upset victory in this game you know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, both kind of come alive, combining for 59 points in this game uh, on 10 of 28 three-point shooting. It's going to be really hard to overcome that, no matter how good you are defensively with your switching, whatever. At the end of the day, sometimes the offense just wins out. But coming up, do you want to talk about a little bit of the offensive side of the ball in this one? Jalen Green, KPJ, how they performed in this game. We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, I said earlier on in the episode that I have a bit of a take about KPJ from this game. Um, Are you ready, Madison? I'm ready. I'm excited. Kevin Porter Jr. had 17 points on a paltry four of 15 shooting. He had five turnovers, uh, five boards, five assists. Honestly... I wasn't too upset with his play. That's my hot take. I don't think KPJ necessarily had a bad game. I really don't. Um, I wasn't upset with the types of shots that he took. At no point did I feel like he dominated the basketball for like extended stretches of the game. That was always my biggest issue with him earlier in the season was sometimes he would get into these lulls where he would kind of just stop facilitating, where he would you know, basically dominate the basketball two, three, four possessions in a row and trying to create his own shot or drive or, you know, get to the mid-range. At no point did it really feel like he did that in this game. Very much, it felt like all the shots that he took came within the the natural flow of the offense. And even if he missed a shot on one possession, instead of like immediately bringing the ball back up and trying to get another shot up or trying to get himself going, he would bring the ball back up and just run the next play and try to get, you know, feed it to the next guy. And I really felt like he was unselfish in this game. I do think there was, you know, maybe some sloppy plays here and there, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple careless passes, but by and large, if you looked at the box score, you'd think, man, KPJ was awful in this game. My eyes didn't tell me that. Like I, I, at no point was I like, man, this is a terrible KPJ. I was like, well, it's just, you know, some shots aren't going in Mm a couple, a couple different passes. I mean, you know, there were some, there were some plays that he'd made where guys just weren't hitting shots. Um, there were some kickouts that he had that were solid, some good looks, some good reads. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my bit of a hot take here is I don't think KPJ had a bad game. I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, and I, I was very impressed with some of the kickout passes to the corner shooters. I mean, like, guys, if we can remember the beginning of the season, we were begging for some of these passes from KPJ. Now, shooters didn't hit shots once again tonight, right? But I thought he moved the ball well. I thought there were a little bit more isos for KPJ today, but I don't think that was KPJ's fault. I think that is the lack of Shingun in the offense um, because he, he provides just an anchor for what we do that the other guys, even though they can do a little bit of screening for us, um, they don't 
they don't get into it as quick and they don't like Shingun initiates everything at the top, whether it's a dribble handoff or pick and roll. And the other guys sometimes can forget they need to be in the play. And so it naturally results in a couple more isolations that we uh that we we typically uh don't want to see. But I don't think KPJ over dribbled in them. I thought he got to his spots. I thought he took shots within the floor of the offense. So I agree, man. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. And on on that point about kind of the the difference in play style offensively without Shingun, mm-hmm. I kind of had this I, I had this feeling after about a quarter and a half a play or so. It, it really feels like without Shingun out there, and I'm gonna I have to I have to tiptoe when I say this because I don't want to upset Shingun fans, but it feels like the Rockets have a more cohesive identity without Shingun on the floor. And when I say that, I don't exa- I don't mean that they're better without Shingun on the floor. I mean that they have a more cohesive identity because they're very much playing a specific way without Shingun. And they're playing one way, which is very, very much guard-oriented, as we already alluded to, right? They play a very heavy guard-oriented system with Kevin and Jalen, you know, dominating the basketball, getting into a lot of pick-and-roll action. Some of it turns into isolations, but that's, and it's kind of five out, pace and space like that's that's kind of what they play without Shingun now when Shingun is there they have a lot more layers to their offense and they can do a lot more but it also feels like they're kind of teetering between two styles and at no point really this season have we have we seen them truly 100% I think lean into and embrace the Shingun style of play the shin hub whatever if you will Mm -hmm. And so it feels like they're always kind of straddling the fence when they have Shingun on the floor where it's like, okay, we're going to play a few possessions going through Jalen and Kevin and do this. Okay, now we're going to play a few possessions where it's Al P at the top of the key or in the post and we're going to run some actions through him. And it kind of, you know, there there is some benefit to having a bit more of a varied offense, but there's also benefit to being a bit more cohesive and playing one style really, really, really well. Now, that's not to say the Rockets play that one style really, really well with the ball-dominant guard play, but it just feels a bit more cohesive at times, and that's kind of the vibe that I got from this game because they were very clear. They understood what the what the, what the the goal was going to be. The other three guys on the floor, Jabari, KJ, Tari, they knew their roles. They stayed in their lanes. They screened. They popped. They rolled. They did whatever they needed to do. None of them were really actively handling the basketball. It was all up to Jalen and Kevin unless it was a transition opportunity, and then those guys would take it and try and make something happen. But that's what I mean by a more cohesive unit uh, at times. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I mean, I definitely think we're a much faster team with uh, Shingun off, you know, off the floor. And then a lot of the time when Shingun is not starting, Tari is starting, which gets us more steals and out and running, and kind of brings more energy to the team in that way. But yeah, I don't not, I don't necessarily think it's a we play better or worse thing. But I definitely understand the identity, uh, the identity stuff you were talking about. But then elsewhere, I mean, and before we get out of here, we do have to talk about well, Jalen Green yeah. in this game. You know, I I kind of don't know what to make of Jalen in this game. I felt like it wasn't necessary. I do. I, I, I don't want to <laughs> say a bad game. Like it's it's look, it's really tough going against the Golden State Warriors and the way that they the way that they defend, the length that they have. Draymond and Looney make it hell trying to get anything going uh, downhill towards the rim. It was t- it was a tough night for both him and Kevin as again the primary facilitators without having Shingun out there to kind of relieve some of the pressure from them occasionally offensively. But then you get into the whole like okay how much is Shingun getting cooked on the defensive end? 
So Jalen had 20 points on 7 of 19 shooting. Um, he was 3 of 7 from beyond the arc. So that means he was 4 of 12 inside. So a you know a rough 33% inside yeah. the arc. Didn't get to the free throw line much. Only 3 trips. Hit all 3 of them. He had 3 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, a block, 5 turnovers. Um both teams did have yeah. a lot of turnovers, but maybe I, you know, and and I do think that the Rockets did a good job of forcing some Warriors turnovers, but the Warriors also conversely did a good job of forcing turnovers on the Rockets. Yeah. So I, the way I feel about Jalen's game, I thought it was funny because this was a weird game for Jalen because his in between game wasn't working. So the mid range shots, the floaters, the the in between range, he like almost didn't hit any of those shots. I thought his three-point game was working, and he was effectively getting to the basket. He missed about two, three layups that Jalen typically makes. Um, but I thought the process of actually getting those shot attempts were pretty good, especially against those uh, against Draymond and, and Looney. They made him they made him work for it. But yeah, at, that, at, that was part. That was part of like it, some of the length. I think did kind of bother him on some of the like the little like corkscrewing, yeah. like the you know right, get up right, there right. left hand. Like it's just it was almost like the but length is makeable is what, for him. Yeah, for sure. Those, those are makeable shots for Jalen. I mean, they're not gonna be makeable shots for anybody else on this team. But for Jalen, those were makeable shots, and he made a couple as well. Um, I was more disappointed with the lack of staggering, the lack of establishment of Jalen. When KPJ was off the court, I thought KPJ uh, handled the lion's share of point guard duties and initiation duties uh, in this game. And I thought Jalen's opportunities were few and far. They were spread out. They weren't they weren't consecutive. He didn't get a a, a, a he didn't get a, a enough looks in a row for me. Where for him to establish a rhythm, and he typically gets those type of rhythm looks at the end of the first. And at the end of the uh, the third. And it's worth noting that Steven actually flipped his substitution pattern right. in this game. Usually he, he lets Jalen play the whole first or most of the first, and KPJ is the first guard subbed out. He flipped right. it in this game, and he, he mentioned post-game he actually did do it because of like the injury maintenance thought process and he didn't want to run Jalen too many minutes this night, and then he wound up giving him 41 minutes anyways because at one point later in the game – he was asking Jalen, hey, how are you feeling? And Jalen was like, I can play 40 tonight. I'm good. And so then Steven just played him the minutes. But oh, okay. okay. That, so, that, so that was some <laughs> was of the like, early logic with the like, with the so rotations weird. and the staggering. Yeah, so he, he did Thank explain himself. He, he explained himself postgame, but it did. I, I do wonder how much of that, like, threw Jalen off his rhythm yes. a little bit because he very much is a rhythm guy. And those minutes where KPJ goes to sit and then he kind of takes over at the end right. of the first, into the third quarter, those are some of the moments where we've seen Jalen really catch fire and get hot and really find his rhythm in a given game. Exactly. And that is and that I thought would would was missing from Jalen tonight. I thought he just needed a, to see a couple go down and him to get in his rhythm a couple shots in a row. And that's when we get, get those 12 to 15 point quarters. Um, and I don't think he just had the opportunity to, to, to do that tonight. And I was really disappointed. And honestly, the minutes when KBJ was off, I felt like there was way too much Knicks and Josh Christopher uh, uh, guard play. I mean, honestly. Oh, well, uh, it, it's tough, right? Because they don't have their backup three in Jay Sean Tate. So it's like, this what this what Steven Silas did, right? Is he his 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 backup three was essentially Dacian Knicks or running like triple triple guard lineups that included. You know, at times, Dacia Nix and Josh Christopher, because they just, he didn't have, I guess, an alternative on the bench, right? The only other three guys that could have suited up in this game were Ty Ty Washington, 
Frank Kaminsky, and Boban. And mm-hmm. I, I think given the resources he had at hand, I think he did the best that he could do. But it is like at this point, seeing Dacian Knicks, you know, throw throw on the jersey and go out there, it is kind of tough. Although Nick Knicks didn't necessarily have an awful game. You know, I can't even it's just one of those where it's like, why he's aren't we seeing Ty Ty, man? Just, just, just give <laughs> yeah, me the Ty Ty minutes, dude. He's, he's just a guy on the court. But but what what I'm upset about, or not upset about, but what I noticed was, is those were the opportunities for Jalen to get consecutive shots and get into his rhythm. And there was fo- too far and few betweens where we seen Dacian uh, drive it to the opposite baseline and run something with Josh Christopher or even Tari Eason or whoever else, right? And it, and it was just... No, Jalen Green needs to have the ball. <laughs> you know what a, I mean? A lack and of it, a lack of clear hierarchy on right, the floor. Right, right, right. And 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 I think that contributed to why Jalen didn't get going today. I thought his shots were too far and too uh, few between. And even though when and he missed a couple initial when he misses a couple initially, then they kind of just go away from him. And I just thought he never got a chance to get into rhythm the way he typically does. Last thing I will comment on here before we get to our our much needed tankathon spin since the Rockets took another L uh, is I, I did kind of like Jabari offensively in this game. I liked the shots that he was oh, getting, yeah. and I really liked how one you know he made himself big again. He got you know some offensive rebounds, four offensive boards in this game, got some putback opportunities, um, eleven boards on the evening, and then on top of that, he he had some moments where he like flashed to the middle or flashed to the mid range, and his teammates actually got him the ball you know quickly, and he was able to just turn, elevate, you know, catch, boom easy shot from mid-range. Like, those are the shots that we've been clamoring for consistently all season, wanting to see Jabari be able to get some of those looks. And so it's nice when he does get those touches. I really thought they had kind of a nice shot diet across the board for all the starters. Maybe you argue Jalen should have gotten a few more shots than, than the 19 attempts he did get or or just a few more shots in succession rather than them being so spaced out over the course of the game. I'd say maybe KJ needs to cool it on the threes that he was taking since he was 0-4. Um, KJ's three-point shot has truly abandoned him, but yeah, Garuba's three-point shot is back, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Garuba hit a three-pointer. Uh, it, it was it was tough because he missed the first one, and then he got the second one up there, and I was like, come on, Uzi, and then it landed. And, uh, not only that, he had the uh, the patented Draymond Green fake-out where he was he faked the, hand, the dribble handoff and drove it to the rim. That was nice to see, so some... You know, a, a sweet little seven points off the bench for Usman Garuba. But, Madison, it's about that time. Are you ready for a tankathon spin? Let's spin it. All right. Well, before we spin it, we have to do our due diligence here at Rockets Watch, which means, no, Rockets Watch, I did it again. Freudian slip. <laughs> <sighs> I do so much Rockets content. Locked on Rockets. We got we to gotta pray, for, pray for Victor. So here we go. Pray for Victor. There we go. Where's it going <laughs> to land, Madison? Two man, two. I want the number two. I want the number two pick in this draft. That's all right. All right, number two is a sweet spot for Madison. I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm feeling good. I think we're getting Wimby back to back times. We got Wimby on the last pod. Here we go. I'm saying number one. We're spinning the wheel and ah, damn. Okay, that's depressing. Um, Orlando gets the number one overall pick. Detroit's at number two, Washington's at number three, San Antonio's at four, and Houston is all the way down at pick number five. What a brutal tankathon spin. Such a depressing way to round out the episode. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> on that note, Madison, you know the drill. Let everybody know where they can track you down at. 
Yeah, man, come uh, follow me at, at Madman Leaks on Twitter. Interact with me. Let's have a good time. Talk Rockets content. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.